For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. My big thing is I like uh, I look for bad faith actors is my big thing is if like you're acting in bad faith. So if I post something and like I, I don't have any problem with negative feedback, yeah. but like if you're just immediately shitty or if you just take like the worst like the most bad faith interpretation of what I said, I'll just usually block immediately. Mm -hmm. I also like, I'm pretty liberal. I will literally sometimes when I'm bored, if I have nothing else going on. And if I see just like a really particularly awful take that like, I will just go through the likes and block, 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 block. <laughs> what is up everybody? My name is Kyle Matovic. I am the host of the In Liberty and Health podcast, where we talk all things liberty, health and wellness, and beyond. My hope is to encourage and spread the message of liberty, physical and mental well-being. I hope you enjoy all the topics we talk about with our guests. We are on all major streaming platforms, so please sit back, relax, and enjoy. Man, I'm doing as good as anyone can do getting buried by his 13-year-old son on leg day. <laughs> I'm not going to apologize for not being on this podcast because I got to go see Metallica. So if that's a problem, kiss my ass. Oh, okay? yeah. <laughs> All right. All right, everybody. This is In Liberty and Health, episode 182. I should have looked at the fucking numbers beforehand. Anyways, Jose Galison, back with me today. How you doing, dude? Doing good, doing good. Glad to be here. What's up, man? Yeah, man. Nothing really. Um, I want to say the last time you were on, it was about episode number eighty-three for me, and it was with you and the Tower Power guys, and we were uh, chopping up on um Elijah Schaefer because he was saying that there's no libertarians that get censored on uh social media. Yeah, yeah, no, that is uh, pretty silly. <laughs> I may or may not be on like my third account. I, I, I say may or may not because I don't even know. I don't even know what the hell is going on with Twitter because I still don't even trust it. I still see people getting uh, suspended or nuked or whatever. But I mean, I, I do. See, it does seem like a lot less people are like losing their accounts entirely. So I, I, I don't know. But it's still a, uh, it's still kind of like dicey territory. So I don't know what kind of heat I can get for ban evasion. So we'll see. <laughs> and I'm already. It's like it's like seems to be every time I get to like three thousand or like thirty five hundred, I get nuked, and I'm like fuck, and uh, I'm almost back there. So mm -hmm. <laughs> I'm at like thirty two hundred, a little under it right now. So <laughs> yeah. So has there been any signs that you're going to get any of your old accounts back? Because it seems like most other people kind of got like their OG account back. Um, no luck for you, unfortunately. Well, here's the thing with mine. Like, uh, I have, for one, I haven't really tried. I. Uh, and every time you make a new one, I think you have to use a new email and like a new phone. And I don't even remember what email and phone I used for the first one. So it's like, I don't even really know how to appeal the first one. And then the last one, uh, I don't even remember what I got hit for. Maybe it was something that was like, 
it was one of those things that like I should have known better. Like, mm -hmm. but it also was one of those things that I don't. It, it wasn't. It shouldn't have been nukeable, in my opinion. Like, if I was at a like, it wasn't something that was like I was threatening violence or anything like that. It was, it, and it wasn't anything too overt. But it, I, I wish I could remember specifically what it was. It was something dumb. But uh, it also was the fact of like I I can't I don't remember how, like the email, so I don't know how to appeal the first one. But then the second one I had, it's like I have appealed like a couple times, I think. But it's like, and I know a lot of people say it got theirs back as they appealed and they appealed and they appealed and they just kept doing it. And eventually they got it back. But for me, for the second one, it's like I've appealed a couple times, but like, I guess part of my thinking too is like, I was technically, I think I got hit for ban evasion. Mm -hmm. So it's like my argument was like, no, I wasn't ban evading. <laughs> so it's like, I don't see that getting yeah. back. And I just haven't put that much effort because it's like when it happened, I was at a point where I was like, well, by the time I likely get it back, I'll probably be almost back to where I was. So it's like, what's the point? And I'll have like a better ratio because like, it's like every time I come back, I like kind of come back stronger and like have a slightly better mm -hmm. like, like, because uh, another big thing with tour is like having a good ratio of like followers to following type thing. Yeah. I mean, I'm pretty much like a follow back whore. Like uh, pretty much if you, if you don't have a profile pick, I usually won't follow you back unless I've noticed like consistently we interact, then I'll usually end up following back. But uh, or if you just look like an obvious bot or some sort of like, you know, fake type thing, then I won't fall back. But uh, yeah, it, so like it, it's really like to get that big, big difference between follower and followings for me. It's like it's just because I get flooded and I'm not able to follow everyone back. Uh, but, you know, to, now it's like my the way I do it is kind of like if someone if I haven't followed someone back and I notice you're actually interacting with me it, it, pretty frequently, I'll follow you back. Just because it's like, I don't know, I don't really care. I'll follow, it's like, whatever. Like, it means nothing to me, if anything. But I also, on the inverse, I'm super heavy with the block. So it's like, <laughs> you know. But I'm also, even with that, I'm super liberal about unblocking. So it's like, because oh. I'm willing to, you know, whatever. If someone was like, hey, that was a misunderstanding or my bad. And then, but now if they're like, it, that almost never happens. It's very rare. I've had a couple times where I unblock. But it really is just as simple as like, my bad, I don't know what I did. Can you unblock? And I'll usually unblock. But like nine times out of ten, it's just like, oh, look at this idiot blocking me. What a piece of shit pussy. And I'm like, okay, well, I guess you just stay blocked. I'm like, <laughs> yeah, you know what? I think you were kind of a little bit of a uh, motivator for me when I started kind of hitting the block button. I think the first time that I really went on and started blocking people a lot, I think I, I was sticking up for Tom Woods because there was some – e-liberty e thought stupid fucking 304 that was going after tom calling him a groomer and said oh well you know you guys are all about wood chippers until it comes to one of your precious podcasters and then i said something to the degree of like i too take my uh, life advice from a woman who sells her asshole on only fans for five dollars and like <laughs> everybody came in and uh i i usually give it like my rules like three tweets and if i just see you're not going to like give any ground you get blocked that's usually my rule i mean my big thing is i like uh i look for bad faith actors is my big thing is if like you're acting in bad faith so if i post something and like i i don't have any problem with negative feedback yeah. but like if you're just immediately shitty or if you just take like the worst like the most bad faith interpretation of what I said, I'll just usually block immediately. Mm -hmm. I also like, I'm pretty liberal. I will literally sometimes when I'm bored, if I have nothing else going on and if I see just like a really particularly awful take 
they'd like I will just go through the likes and block, 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 block. <laughs> and it, I don't know. I, I also, for me, I like it too. Like when someone, like I've had times too, especially where people like you know, I've had a handful of times where people will uh, will come after me for some dumb shit, mm-hmm. and I will see like a post where someone like shits on me or whatever, and and like it depends on how they do it. Like I say, if they're like, well, here's why I disagree with this, blah blah. blah. If they're just like. Well, look at this fucking faggot. I bet he does this, and I bet his dick's small, or whatever, whatever the thing is. Then I'll just like, I'll just go for the likes and block, 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 uh, and then like, and then I'll like see like who retweeted, and I'll, I'll apply a little bit of like uh, logic. So I know sometimes people will retweet not to like endorse it, but just to like sometimes, if anything, just to be like, look at this idiot. Mm-hmm. So I mean, I'll, I'll use logic, but I'll, I'll just block the crazy. I don't care, and then it just makes me. I find it funny later when then someone will like post be like look at this weak guy who blocked me and i'm like i don't even remember doing that (laughs) (laughs) like i had someone who got who did that and they um can't remember what they said something and then i and someone showed it to me and i don't even remember what it specifically we're talking about and then i took the screenshot and replied to it it wasn't even something too inflammatory i said and then they then were like look at this guy uh shooting on me behind a block and it's like yeah, like for one, she had blocked me first, mm-hmm. and like, no, 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 I remember what it was. No, that wasn't that. She said she was like, uh, "Oh, look at this guy who blocked me," because she had said something about me. I guess after I blocked her, well after I blocked her, and like she's like, "Look, uh, oh, even the little bit of criticism he blocks," and I and I was just like, I remember being like, "I blocked you way before that," <laughs> like I and I like I, I don't even, like like I uh, that was not why, and I don't even remember why I blocked you. <laughs> <laughs> I guess they just they found my screenshot in the wild somewhere and then shared it and then found out I blocked him and assumed it was because of their take and I was like no I already had you blocked <laughs> I guess I was right once again <laughs> did, did you ever like just see you're unable to view this person's account and then realize that they blocked you because that, that's actually happened to me quite a few times I'm like I've never even fucking interacted with this person I got like an alt with um, a lot less followers and like I'll go over there on the alt and I'll just look my name up and there's something like I've never even interacted with this person it's actually crazy how many people I see have had me blocked and I've never even talked to them or interacted with them I, i'm fine with it i mean yeah i do see that i don't care i mean like, i'm not the no, guy who's like look at yeah. this person block me if anything i'm like thank you i prefer you just block me like that's <laughs> like because if that's if you if something if you don't like me that much i don't want to interact with you anyway either so mm. like if anything i don't even mean that in like a hateful way it's like the genuine thank you <laughs> like, cool now we don't have to interact i'm fine with this if you clearly find me that abhorrent or whatever then cool that you just save me the trouble of having to find this out later so uh, i'm good with it i mean i i will block back once i figure it out because i mean sometimes <laughs> you blocked you gotta you gotta have it both ways because you people yeah. can like look at your shit behind it but you know whatever i i appreciate that if anything i'm like thank you the only time that i really it really i don't i wouldn't say i don't like it but it kind of every once in a great while it'd be someone that i'm like oh like we've interacted before, never had problems. Th- those are the ones I'm like, okay. And if anything, I'm just like, well, I guess I just read them wrong. I, I don't know, but that's very rare. I, I'm, I feel like I'm usually a pretty good judge of character. So, uh, but yeah, no, uh, I don't, I don't know. Yeah, it's. Uh, I think it's good to block. I mean, I, I personally, I mean, if like 
I mean, you can have your own system of why, who, and why to block. But I mean, the other day, if it's social media and you don't have to interact with these people, and if there's someone that doesn't bring you joy, you know, or or someone that you don't want to interact with, why would you keep them around? Like it does, it doesn't. Like, why would you keep that as a possibility to interact with? It doesn't make sense to me. Yeah, so like, I, I had yeah. somebody kind of like bust my balls once for blocking people. And like, uh, I, I remember telling them, like, you don't even take up like any mental faculties of mine. Like, you guys are mm-hmm. freaking out because I blocked you. It, it's because like, I don't care to see your shit takes and I don't care to have you seeing my stuff and bo- bothering me. Like, you don't take up any mental capacity of mine. So like, yeah. and you guys are freaking out about one interaction that we may have had where I decided to block and like, you know like you said you're a very very liberal blocker i'm i'm pretty reserved about it there's a couple people that i like know personally that i muted because they were taking things out of context and just being complete total assholes about stuff but i've um, ever muted <laughs> <It's> <laughs> immediate block <laughs> i i just don't see the point in it if you're at a point where i want to mute you it's just kind of like well i don't want to interact with you like i don't know unless it's like a the only time I could see muting someone is maybe once my I mean I'm there are occasional like people that I'll have that are weird reply guys and not in like a negative way but in like a way that like they just say weird shit that I'm just like what the fuck are you talking about and it's like I don't want to like block them because it's mm-hmm. like whatever they're interacting on my posts but at the same time it's kind of like you're kind of weird like so it's like I don't want to keep seeing this so if anything like yeah I could I could that's the only time I could think of maybe I would ever mute someone just kind of like someone who's interacting with my stuff and isn't necessarily being negative uh they may even be positive but in the, just the most weird off the rail type ways those would be the only people i'd probably ever mute because it's like whatever i'll take the algo boost i don't care and also i guess in a certain way it's cool that you're do like for some reason attracted to me in that way i don't know but yeah there are i mean those are very rare i've only probably had a hand maybe like less than a handful of those so yeah i'm I'm pretty sure i have a gay lover on my twitter because he's complimented me quite a few times And, and like i've even i'm pretty sure every single time he's gone after me like that like I don't want to say in a good way because that, that, that makes it sound fucked up, but he, uh, he complimented my eyes or something like that. I'm like, yeah, my wife likes him too. He's like, yeah, I could see why she's hot and you're attracted to him. I'm like, okay, bro. Like yeah, I'll I just flirt back. I have, I actually have a bad tendency of flirting with like gay dudes. I don't know why I like it. It's only if they send it. Well, actually, I guess I take that back. It's not only if they send it my way. I've also initiated before just cause I don't know. It's funny. And, like, I've done it before with my wife, like, right next to me. And she'd be like, what the fuck are you doing? And I'm like, mm-hmm. I don't know. I just figured I'd make their day. <laughs> Makes me laugh. And I get a little bit of flattery back to me. It's nice. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, fair enough. Yeah, I mean, I, I, you know, we all kind of do gay stuff over here and there. You know, it just, just kind of is what it is. You know, we all make dick jokes and uh, stuff like that. So um, <laughs> I guess kind of moving on from Twitter blocking and gay stuff. Um one of the things I wanted to talk to you about, and I've been listening to yours, um, is the Gretchen Whitmer kidnapping plot. So I think I've made it through about four out of six videos. I listened to most of them today. But before we get there, um, Marjorie Taylor Greene said that there were six billion, and then she adjusted it down to six million people crossing the border. Um, uh-huh. As of this, <laughs> I'm glad you knew where I was going with that. <laughs> um, but yeah, the Gretchen Whitmer uh, plot that. 
that was really fascinating to me because from what I've picked up from it, there were literally more feds and informants than there were actual people like plotting to do anything. And um, you could perhaps enlighten me on this. Um, I would probably wager that there were probably no sane people as in like not feds or informants that were thinking like we could actually kidnap the governor. Like yeah. I, I think most people probably thought like that that's not going to end well. Yeah, no, uh, from, I think it was something like 12 or more informants, if I remember correctly, I might be wrong, um, but, it, but yeah, they were, uh, I mean, that's what I believe was like kind of sort of confirmed, I, I might be wrong, so don't, don't quote me on that, anyone out there, um, you know, I'm not an expert on it by any means, uh, if anything, I would actually suggest people go to like, Radix Verum is who I use for most of my stuff. Mm -hmm. um, and I know Julie Kelly's good on it too. I haven't really followed much of her stuff aside from seeing a few Twitter posts here and there, but she's a huge account that uh, has really been big on it. Uh, I know Radix is, uh, you know, she's not as big on Twitter as Julie Kelly. She's got a large YouTube channel though. So I, I want to say she's like somewhere in the 10 to 20K range. She's just mm -hmm. got a good sized channel. But yeah, she's, uh, she's done, a, in my opinion, from the actual stuff i've looked into radix you know specifically on her Substack, particularly she's done a lot of great work there i mean she's done good stuff on her youtube as well but like if you're really trying to dig into it like your Substack's great but uh that's kind of where i use my primary that was like my primary source was her mostly uh but yeah she's great on that but uh yeah no it's nuts it really is like even of the actual people that weren't feds like from the the most the, all the digging i've done I haven't been able to find a single thing that they did wrong, in mm -hmm. my opinion. Because it's like, you assume someone, when you hear about something like this, even from our perspective, that there was some loose, small grain of truth somewhere. But, like, no. Like, even the most, like, unhinged of them all, which would probably be, like, Adam Fox, still wouldn't even, like, really go with it. Like, like he'd goof off and kind of feed into it a little bit, but then whenever it actually came down to it, he'd be like, what no like like they were trying like even something as simple as like the feds were trying to give these guys like five thousand dollar gift cards uh to use oh. i think i think they were saying they were to use to get like gear and stuff that's and I think, glowy yeah and i think none <laughs> of them accepted and like mm -hmm. even adam fox being you know the the context with adam is like he was a basically homeless like he lived in the uh basement of a i want to say a, like a what was a laundromat no a vacuum repair shop i think something like that yeah. and like it was just because like a friend let him live there like he basically like he had gone through a rough divorce basically lost everything he was in a really weird spot in his life kind of uh uh basically was like like smoke like was always like ridiculously high like he was just not in a good time in his life and even then being at the lowest point in his life he still was like, even as something as simple as like taking a $5,000 gift card, he was like, mm -hmm. no, like he, he didn't. So like, it, it really was like, they tried to hem these guys up and they didn't get anything. Mm -hmm. so. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I heard about the story about the feds kind of infiltrating that, but I didn't realize it was like that saturated with um, federal informants. Um, you know, going after the uh, governor. So I guess one of the follow-up questions was, um, or for me would be like, how encompassing was this? Like, do you think uh, Governor Whitmer was actually in on the plot or do you think this is maybe higher up? Like how widespread do you think this was? Or do you think it's just kind of like more of a concealed operation? Uh, that one's kind of hard to answer. Um, mm -hmm. I, so far as 
Gretchen Whitmer? I have no idea. I, I don't... I haven't seen anything to imply she was. I know she made some statements, I believe, for uh, the court uh, to kind of be like, hey, you need to get these guys. So, but, like, I, I don't know. They She literally just could have just been buying into it and just be as simple mm-hmm. as that. I, I don't necessarily think that... I mean, I don't necessarily think there was anything conspiratorial there. I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if there was, but I haven't seen anything to suggest that. And the things she has done, nothing about that is really, like, suggestive of that. Mm-hmm. Like, even, even if I'm trying to, like, just, you know, for looking for implications at all, like, nothing. Like, it, so, so far as, like, how far it went up the chain, I, I don't really know. I know... One of the big things is I think the the top dog, like, Fed guy, like, it was kind of, like, up the chain uh, that was, like, kind of the head of that, like, office. I believe he also ended up moving to uh, – ended up being head of the office over in, like, D.C. and basically kind of was orchestrated uh, – I guess not orchestrated, but I guess probably really did orchestrate. But essentially was head of a lot of the stuff during the time of the January 6th stuff. Mm-hmm. So – I mean, that's highly suggestive, uh, although it's not conclusive. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, I I don't really know exactly. I definitely haven't dug in that much. And this is one of those sure. things that is still kind of newer. So there aren't as, like, when you were looking at something like the Whitmer thing, uh, there's a lot less, like, like, damning evidence so far as, like, in that aspect as opposed to something like, I don't know, like OKC. Because uh, that's been around a lot longer, a lot more information's co- been collected, put together. So, like, yeah, with with the 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 Whitmer thing, the kidnapping thing, it's more like we can tell at least that they are innocent. But so far as like a conspiratorial, who did what, who's responsible for this, mm-hmm. uh, the best we can really tell is that the the informants were definitely uh, pushing things, and at the very least, they are responsible for driving this whole thing. Uh, but like so far as like higher ups in the chain, I don't know. I mean, it really could be as simple as uh, I would suggest everyone uh, go check out the book Terror Factory by Trevor Aronson because it kind of gives you an understanding of how informants work and why they would be like this. So it really could just be as simple as the feds kind of had this idea of an op they can pull and they got informants. And it really could just be as simple as the incentives that drive informants is what kind of caused this. I don't know. I mean, it also could have been the the their handlers, the feds themselves, that kind of drove it. I mean, that would be. I think that's a likely personally, but it also it could easily just be as simple as the informants because the informants have a lot to gain from this. And uh, like, I can't remember which one of the informants, but one of the informants in like a six month period essentially made like the uh, economic value of over like six figures just by being an informant. Yeah. So like. Like, that is a very clear-cut incentive, and when they actually get convictions, a lot of times they will get more money, too. So they are very much driven to accomplish these things. I mean, hell, there are people that have – there have been uh, uh, examples of people who are essentially career informants that, like, make their living off of that, you know, where they'll, you know, go from one thing to the next. And it is pretty – it's predatory and it's pretty gross. But at the very least, usually most of the time with these things, there is usually some grain of truth. But, like, that's what is weird about this one. It's just, like, there wasn't even – and when I say grain of truth, I mean, like, they will usually, like, completely provide the means, the opportunity, the plans, everything, uh, you know, and the – like, say they'll be, like, some – they'll find some guy who's expressed – 
you know, not liking the federal government or something. And then, then lo and behold, this guy comes out of nowhere and be like, hey, here's these plans you could execute. And here's these bombs and here's the money and here's everything. Yeah. We just need you to do push it. this button or whatever, yeah. you know, essentially do this simple action. And we've arranged everything else for you. And they do it. And then lo and behold, either they stop them before they do it or it's a dummy or whatever. And they apprehend them after. But like, so like there is a case to be made that there is like some level of fairness of like, okay, you got me of like, well, like theoretically this guy would have done it. And like, had these not been feds and been some other people, this guy clearly would have been responsible for these things. And he clearly did a bad thing. Like that definitely is a bad thing to do that. I mean, I think it's predatory and there definitely is like, you kind of, you definitely created the crime, but there's definitely a fair argument to be made that, hey, this guy was going to do it. Now, I think it's a little bit of a misuse of the criminal justice system to to literally essentially go out creating criminals, essentially. Entrapping people. Yeah, yeah. you know, entrapment, uh, even though, they're, they're, like I said, there is a fair argument. That's, that's semi-fair. I just think that's a little bit uh, weird way to use the criminal justice system to go out and create criminals because likely that person, you know, most of the time they find them at times and they're low in their life, to where, like, who knows? They may have in a month or so gotten a job, got their stuff back together, and been in a completely different mindset and never never even do, even think about doing something like that again. All right, everybody. We're going to take a little break from the show real quick to tell you about the show's sponsors. I am now working with the great Stephen Fox to bring you Fox & Sons Coffee. As you can see, I got two bags right here. Or for those listening, I was holding two bags. Um, it is organically roasted up in Michigan. And if you're a caffeine addict, much like myself, um, then head over to foxandsonscoffee.com to get yourself some of their fantastic coffee. They got a light roast, which I'm holding in my hand. Um, they have the Electric Boogaloo Blend, which is fantastic as well. I just had it this morning. And if you're like me, you like dark roast coffee, which kicks you right in the freaking face first thing in the morning. Um, they have that for you as well. So head over to foxandsonscoffee.com. Use code Kyle, K-Y-L-E, to get yourself a little discount. Let them know that I sent you. And um, get yourself caffeinated, get jacked and tan, and do what you got to do. All right, guys, back to the podcast. Thanks. They were just at a really low point in their life where they'd be willing to do different things than normally. Right. So, I mean, it's gross. But, like, in this situation, it's, like, distinct in that, like, even, like, they didn't. Like, they just, like, didn't. So that's what's, like, weird. And, like, it really was just, like, the feds grasping at straws to make this stuff work. And even the convictions they did get was, like, they had to essentially create, like, a kangaroo court to where they completely made it. So, like... Like they restricted the like what the defense could use for argument, and then they like essentially loaded the uh, the uh, the opposition or the uh, the state against them, where they would let them use stuff down down to stuff like personal Facebook messages, not even stuff that was like in group messages with like other people. So like they were able to they they had like a completely stacked the deck against them, and the, like that was how they they basically landed those. So it it is it is very gross, very predatory, and it. In this case, it's like it's. I can't even make the slightest like the the slightest bit of an argument for them. It's it's just ridiculous. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, some of them also had to take 
or they didn't have to take, but they did take plea deals. And the one person was being uh, even like preyed upon by a woman, essentially. And this is kind of like a uh, little pattern I've kind of noticed that the government will literally hire like underage women, which is the most like bizarre thing in the world because sex work is illegal. And look, like I'm not out here praising sex work. But it's literally illegal to do as like a regular individual, like if you and I want to go out and start fucking fat chicks or something like that and getting paid for it, we'd, we'd be arrested. But the government will literally hire underage girls to go get preyed on specifically by older men or maybe even older women sometimes and then, you know, come in and, you know, set, you know, basically trap these people after they've kind of set them up like. I never hear people really talk at it from that angle, but that's kind of like the most disturbing thing to me is that the feds will literally set up underage girls and then put them in a predatory situation where they could literally be in danger of being raped or killed. Yeah, no, it was wild stuff. Uh, yeah, I don't really have much to add to that specific aspect with the, with the, like the, that, I mean, usually I, it's my understanding typically when they do those type of things, they just pick of age women that just look really young. Typically is what mm. they do. And uh, I know once again, that's one of those things where it's like there's a fair case to be made that it's like, okay, I guess theoretically if this actually was a 13-year-old or whatever, they would have done it. But you're going out essentially creating crimes and there's just something something weird about that that just doesn't sit right with me and how, uh, you know, they're going out of their way to, you know, I don't know, future crime essentially, you know, like yeah. – and don't get me wrong. I'm all about, you know, fucking getting pedos and shit, but like I, I don't know. Something's just weird about that i mean don't get me wrong when these people get busted i don't really have much sympathy but it's like i don't know is that really the best use of our tax dollars i i don't know maybe maybe not uh i mean in, in that case maybe i'm a little bit more sympathetic when it is like a fed trap for to catch a possible pedo but like yeah i, I don't know <laughs> Yeah, dude, it's it's really really strange. But um, so the other thing that you did a series on, and I like know absolutely nothing about this other than just kind of what I've heard is the OKC bombing. So um, I know it had something to do with Timothy McVeigh, and then of course your uh, legendary now Terrence Yiki didn't kill himself. Um, I guess let's kind of start. What is the official narrative for the OKC bombing? Let's start there, and then we'll kind of work our way, I guess, to where you are now. Because I know you had an episode, I think, coming out either like today or tomorrow on it. Yeah, I already recorded it. Uh, it's sure. available for patrons. I mean, you're dropping it Tuesday, so that doesn't really matter. But uh, it it will drop uh, tomorrow. Uh, you know, or for those watching it, it will already be out because you said you're gonna drop this on Tuesday. Yeah. Uh, but um, yeah. Uh, the official narrative is basically that Timothy McVeigh and Terry Nichols. I guess Terry Nichols more taking on like a material support type role. He wasn't actually there for the bombing. He had an alibi. He was gonna. And when I say alibi, I'm not saying that to mean he was there. I think he actually wasn't. Um, uh, just saying he he wasn't there. Um, at that time, and I, I do think that's true. He essentially Terry Nichols. The one of the big parts of his roles is he he robbed an individual named Roger Moore, and got a something like seventy plus guns and a bunch of precious metals and cash and stuff like that, which was then likely used to help fund the uh, fund the attack essentially. Um, and he was like the material support in that way. I mean, he definitely probably did other things as well to help McVeigh and had an ongoing uh, relationship with McVeigh in this regard. Uh, but McVeigh, the official narrative you know, is McVeigh then took a, a rider truck filled with 
I forget, it's basically a fertilizer bomb, parked it in front of the Murrah building, and kaboom, and blew up the, the Murrah building. It's it's kind of as simple as that. Uh, I guess then after, yeah, he gets caught, busted somewhere. I forget. I think he had a truck without any, any tags on it, and he got arrested for that. Uh, they weren't actually like they didn't they didn't immediately suspect him as the uh, the, the OKC uh, the the bomber. I think they actually almost let him go before they they got a call to like oh shit we're looking for this guy and then they uh, then they got him uh, and th that's so basically in a sense like I I know it's kind of confusing because I, I will a lot of people call it lone wolf but then a lot of people are like well there was Terry Nichols okay but like yeah like you get what I mean like it was like lone wolf and the, like he basically did all that himself. So um, what what did they say his motivation was? And what is this uh, Murr building that you're referring to? Because like I said, I'm walking into this pretty yeah. ignorantly. Like, yeah. The Murr building was like essentially like an ATF uh, uh, headquarters of some sort. I, I say headquarters, but I don't mean like it was. I'm not saying it's like the, the ATF headquarters. I don't know how many ATF individuals were in that building, sure. but it was a federal building with ATF uh, people inside. Well, although incidentally, they weren't actually there during the bombing, which is mm. convenient. Um uh, yeah, Murr building. Was another question there? You just asked what the Murr building was. And then uh, McVeigh's uh, motivation. Oh, his so motivation. That, yeah. yeah. His motivation is at least how, I mean, this could be legit. It might not. It's like it, who McVeigh is and what he was doing is kind of up in the air, uh, you know, but like the official narrative being he was kind of the militia type who was upset about Waco because uh, he was actually, there are, I believe, photos or it might even be a video of him actually at Waco. He was at Waco during the, uh, the whole siege. So he definitely was someone and he expressed, you know, multiple times how like what they did was wrong and, you know, being upset about that. And he was a militia type and he also was kind of loosely associated with like white supremacist groups as well, uh, like legit ones and not not in like the liberal way where they say that dumb shit, uh, like legit, like white supremacist groups. And uh yeah, so that was his motivation. Is that he, you know, at least the official narrative is that he wanted to take, you know, essentially get them. You know, he wanted to get back at the feds, and so he blew up a federal building. Which the big thing in it is, it had a daycare in it, and um, you know, McVeigh was aware of that. He actually scouted out the building before, uh, even went to the daycare, was asking questions and stuff, pretending like he had kids. So he was aware that there was a daycare, uh, and he still did it anyways. Uh, you know. So, yeah, that was the, the uh, proposed motivations that he wanted to just blow up a federal building to kind of get back at the federal government. Okay. All right. So I guess let's kind of take this one step at a time. So supposedly his background's a little shaky as well, because I remember hearing you cover this briefly that um, – it may not be that he was just this straight up militia white supremacist guy that there may be, you know, maybe some fed activity. Like he may glow a little bit, if you will. Um, what kind of is going on there? Like this would almost suggest that maybe it was like a false flag or something like that. So um, could you elaborate on that perhaps a little bit more? Yeah. Yeah. Um, the, the aspects of that to where that comes from, uh, I will say the only source of that that we have confirmed, uh, and these are confirmed sources, are from his own words or writing. So, you know, like it's not confirmed elsewhere. So you have to take Timothy McVeigh's word to take the angle of him being a government agent. So I'll put that out ahead of time. So, you know, take that with what you will. Uh, you know, those out there, whether you believe that or not, I think once you start looking at the larger context and some of the other stuff going on, 
it makes it a little bit more plausible and less like maybe he's just a crazy guy. I mean, he also could just be a crazy guy. I, I mean, if I found out tomorrow that there was confirmed evidence that he wasn't some sort of government government agent, I don't, I don't know necessarily what kind of evidence could prove that. But let's say we did get that somehow. It wouldn't. It wouldn't completely rock my the the rock my world or or be that big of a deal. It's not necessarily like integral to the whole. Uh, you know the whole you know story that uh, that like me and Richard Booth have kind of like laid out. It it sure. still it still is more to the story than just McVeigh. Even if he was a legit avowed white supremacist militia guy, uh, and it blew up a federal building, it, there's also other actors that were clearly likely feds and and or just straight up clearly feds. Uh, and that, you know, likely, you know, kind of like we were talking about with the whole Whitmer thing that kind of were kind of trying to manipulate people, even if he wasn't. But anyways, I digress to go back to him. Essentially, the official narrative of McVeigh's life story. Here's the official narrative is he was in, I believe it was Desert Storm, Gulf War, whatever. Um, he he served then in the army and he then uh decided he wanted to go special forces and this is still part of the official narrative he went special forces went to the training he had already been deployed over in, in the war or whatever and the official narrative is that when he got to training he just couldn't keep keep on because he kind of hurt himself uh and like he messed up his foot or whatever which is actually a pretty believable story anyone who's done any sort of special forces or something similar training uh, i did 11 years active duty air force i when i first joined i actually joined as like uh, something that was kind of like in that vein and we had to like ruck around with like 70 pound rucksacks and like yeah. we would go on like 10 mile hikes in, in the woods and like a crazy terrain through streams and all sorts of stuff and if you had bad feet it would be it would be like if you'd hurt your foot or like you know say you like broke even broke a toe or anything crazy that would really limit your ability to do something like that. so it's a it's believable uh but th then he essentially washed out of that training and he essentially got discharged from the military and he, he went home. Um, now, what he told his family, I want to say there's letters to his sister. I want to say there's some sort of correspondence, whether it was, uh, you know, through, you know, just through talking or, or letters to his, I want to say his mother. I might be wrong on that one, but I know for a fact his sister. And then also these are things he told his, his first defense attorneys mm -hmm. is that what happened is he uh essentially that that is not exactly what happened he did go to special forces training and then they pulled him aside and they said hey we want you to essentially go off the books and do like kind of another sort of black ops type stuff mm -hmm. and they told him like this is once again these are things he told his sister and his defense attorneys and i, I want to say his mother but I, i'm not 100 on that uh, but he that, he that he would be the official story would be that you know he tells everyone in, in, in real life and that what like the operating story is that he hurt himself in training and then he got out. But like I said, what really happens is he is going to essentially do black ops type stuff for them. And you know, like one example he used, like he was told he was going to do is like he would likely do stuff like uh kind of assist the feds in um in like drug smuggling operations mm -hmm. which i've brought this up before in my series that i think what makes it a little bit more convincing is that the when this happened it was like the mid 90s and if you were to like then when he was saying these things was in the mid 90s 
So to say that, like, I know, I don't know how, I'm assuming you've probably delved a little bit into the conspiracy world. And so I'd assume when you hear someone say, oh yeah, feds drug smuggling operation. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. That's a thing. That's a known thing. Like feds, it's basically confirmed. If It actually is straight up confirmed that the feds have in the past done drug smuggling operations to fund their off the books operations. But in the mid nineties, that wasn't like a, that wasn't like the, the, uh, the public consciousness state at that point, it wasn't like this thing of like confirmed. So for, to be saying that in the mid nineties was kind of like, what? Like, what the fuck? Like it was very kooky. So like, and now we know, oh, that's legit things they've done. Um, so that, that was one example of things they said he'd be doing for him. I, I forget if there was anything other, but Essentially, yeah, he was going to be doing off-the-book stuff for them. And then, lo and behold, he ends up in Elohim City, which is a white supremacist, like, uh, you know, um, stronghold, like militia-type stronghold uh, or compound. And, you know, he ends up getting mixed up with these people and he ends up blowing a federal building, which, you know, like, I mean, if he... Like at that time, the militia movement was very strong. And what he, if you look at this from a bigger picture, he completely discredited the militia movement of the time by attacking citizens. So, uh, and, and children and uh, like completely made them an unsympathetic group at that period in time because the public backlash from Waco and like Ruby Ridge was pretty strong. And he really did unite the, like those acts really did reunite the militia groups and stuff to where they were very strong at that time. And something like a Timothy McVeigh really did hamper that energy. And so it's not that crazy of an idea that, you know, I mean, I guess it is a little bit crazy that the feds would want to interfere with that in some way. Now, do I believe this? I lean towards it. But like I said, I wouldn't be blown away if it wasn't the case because there are other individuals in this in the mix that are very much glowing that also could just have been controlling from the outskirts. But I, I just have a hard time. And the sources to me are pretty strong because like I said, his defense attorney, his sister, uh, and I want to say other family members. So I mean, it seems a weird thing. And I want to say there was, might also be like other inmates. He was saying stuff like this too, while he was in jail. So it's just weird. Like, and it's just kind of uncanny that he'd be saying those sorts of things. So not confirmation, but it kind of is convincing for me. But like I said, not necessarily integral to, making a case for at the very least a cover-up if not Mm -hmm. some sort of false flag at some level whether he was doing it and whether he was doing it because he you know was a fed of some sort or because he was an avowed you know a militia guy who thought like this was what they need to do to get back at the, the federal government either way same effect yeah. Okay. So, uh, well, first of all, I want to say that I admire that you're not dying on a hill either way, because um, I, I think a lot of people, especially in our movement, will want to die on conspiracy stuff and with like little or no evidence and say, this is it, this is the way it is, rather than saying like, hey, this is what the evidence looks like to me, and this is what I think, and this is my speculation. Um, I just admire people who are at least intellectually honest about stuff like that and will at least present, you know, reason and evidence rather than just saying this is my stance and there's nothing else to it. So um, the other interesting part about this is that you said conveniently nobody was there. So you said there's a daycare in that building and there were mm-hmm. ATF agents and both yep. of those were empty? No, the daycare was there. The ATF oh. agents didn't make it to work that day. And here's the thing that's okay. weird about that is 
according to them, the official narrative is they had, I want to say, some sort of like training exercise or something mm -hmm. is what they said. But on the like in like in the like basically in the aftermath of the bombing there were live camera crews there from news people covering it and there was one individual i don't remember his name you could probably go back in the series i bet you richard booth probably spouted off the exact name the exact news uh station everything and the you know you, if you go to libertarianinstitute.org you, you can go to their okc uh, archive and you can probably search for it yourself if you'd like to actually see the documents uh corroborate this um there was an individual who got was getting interviewed by the news one of the newscasters there and he they he he was essentially looking for his wife at that period of time and he said that he saw one of the ATF agents they knew there at in, like in the aftermath and he's kind of like or or yeah it was one ATF agents he's kind of like where where are all the other ATF agents and he's kind of like or something along those lines I forget the specifics of what they said and the guy said to him oh, we they all got a pager to tell them not to come into work today and and that was what and so that was that is something that was on the news like streamed live so i mean t take with that what you will i mean i find it a little bit fishy that they didn't show up training exercise seems a little weird a little convenient so there also was bomb squad sighting i want to say it was like something like 7 a.m or something like that in the morning so it, it seems that there was some sort of prior knowledge somewhere at some mm -hmm. level now i don't know specifically how or why or who but it seems somehow some agency had some suspicion something was going to happen and they didn't alert everyone and they just let the atf know to get the hell out of there <laughs> and and because like i said they had a bomb squad there so i mean so i and to some extent that does kind of imply that the atf themselves may not have been responsible in but they at least had some sort of prior knowledge and yet still chose not to alert everyone uh, which is kind of gross that they themselves would bail because, you know, the bomb squad sighting, like I said, is, it implies it wasn't, it likely wasn't of their, you know, design because, you know, they clearly had a bomb squad thing. We're trying to look for it because they suspected it. Uh, they, they essentially probably had some sort of bomb scare somehow, somehow got tipped off and didn't show up and yet didn't tell everyone else. So uh, it seems to be whether that was some interagency communication of some sort. I don't know. You know, so, it, but it definitely is highly suggestive. Uh, you know, I know there was lots of aspects throughout the case of like where there were like changes in dates, changes in times of when they were going to do it. So it could have been something as simple as that. Yeah. Uh, you know, that was why they had the bomb squad earlier. I, I don't know. Yeah. So um, now I, I guess this is probably a decent pivot then. Who all, um, like, like, so who died in this bombing? And then I guess you could probably intuit from there or move on to Terrence Yiki and what his involvement was. So, like, who were the victims in this bombing? Because obviously it wasn't the ATF agents because yeah. they conveniently got a pager that told them not to come into work that day. Well, I mean, the kids at the daycare. I don't okay. know who all worked in that building. It wasn't just the ATF in that building. But mm -hmm. there were I, – I can't remember the exact body count of it. You probably could Google it real quick. But it's uh, – sure. I know it was the before 9/11 it was the the like the the highest uh, the the highest body count like terrorist attack in the United States ever prior to 9/11. So like it was a lot of people there were a lot of people in there your office workers all sorts of people but the, the majority... number I got on Google sorry to interrupt was no, 168 uh the bombing 
of the Alfred P. Murrah building in Oklahoma City on April 19, 1995, was a deadliest act of homegrown terrorism in U.S. history, resulting in the deaths of 168 people. A day after the bombing, FBI released a sketch of a suspect who rented a rider truck in Kansas. So that was just a uh, real quick uh, Google search when you type yeah. in OKC bombing deaths. So sorry, go on. No, yeah, you're good. Yeah, so like there were plenty of other people working in that building. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, uh, there was probably a whole lot of other different things going on in there. Uh, I don't know specifically what groups, but I know so far as like three letter agencies that pretty much it was ATF and they weren't there. It was all the other people that were in there. So yeah. uh, I, I don't know what other aspects of stuff was going on in that building so far as business or maybe they were other, you know, some sort of government workers of some sort. They could have just been supportive or uh, like support staff to the ATF. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know specifically. I just know the ATF weren't there and the kids basically were so that was like the big thing people point to is the kids all the time right okay so then what was terrence yiki's involvement with this because um what i'm getting from this is that he was um if, if i'm interpreting this correctly that he was a cop on the scene and then he reported that what he saw was different than what the news was saying and then mysteriously he also all of a sudden had information that would lead to the arrest of hillary clinton which yeah. you know how that ends yeah no he was one of the first responders he was a he was a cop uh he saved uh, four or more people. I believe he uh, kind of fell through uh, some of the floors in the building, and he ended up kind of injuring himself in the process while trying to save people. Uh, I don't know specifically what his injuries were, but they were basically not severe, like not severe enough to where he, like like he was able to leave uh, shortly after. Like he actually was kind of rushing to get out of the hospital, which was kind of a you know aspect of it. He already was flustered when he got picked up by his ex-wife Tanya Yiki. She was who picked him up from there. Uh, she was the mother of his children as well. I believe he had either two, one or two daughters. I, f- I always forget. I, I want to say two, but for some reason I hear people say he only had one. And I think it's because there's a picture that goes around where it's him and his ex-wife and one kid. So I think it, that might just been an older picture. I don't know. I think he had two daughters. But either way, uh, he was one of the first responders. He entered himself, got out of the hospital. One of the first things he said to Tanya was it's not what they're telling us uh, is like it, like they're and he was never really explicit gave too many details to tanya uh, i would suspect especially when i've kind of looked into the details of this he he kind of laid a little bit more out to some other people but not too much uh you know but it seemed to be he probably didn't want to get her involved because once again he was the mother of his children mm-hmm. uh, i think he knew there was issues there there was definitely heavy implications that and not, I don't. I guess probably even a stronger word than implications to where it seemed to be the his police department was trying to get him to go along with the official narrative, and he didn't want to. Um, you know, uh, the one aspect is I guess he. And I think this was in a letter to a friend of his. He he said that he told the chaplain, which I I, I don't know you. I know anyone who's been in military probably knows how chapl what chaplains are, how they operate. Um, I, I didn't even know, honestly, chaplains were a thing in the police force, but I guess they are. I would assume they probably serve a similar role in the military. They're essentially like they're supposed – they're religious leaders of all different uh, different sects. Usually most military bases try to keep uh, – you know, try to have as a be- the best representation of all of them they can. I mean within reason because there's so many damn religions. But they're also kind of like a mental health counselor in a way. They're like someone you can go talk to, and they're the, – the whole – point of them is they're not supposed to be able to talk to your like your supervision and stuff they're it's not supposed like to tell anyone 
essentially, you know, it's supposed to be somebody you can talk to if you're having issues and you don't have to worry about them telling anybody else. Mm -hmm. And that chaplain, essentially, according to, to Terrence, told, you know, basically everyone uh, the stuff he said. Now, it wasn't explicit about what he said. So, like, he didn't lay out exactly what he said, but it seemed to be he was questioning things. I do believe he said something along, uh, at some point. All of this was to his ex-wife or to his friend in the letter. Um, I will say, uh, if those who want to check out the sources, once again, obviously you can go to the, the Libertarian Institute, but, or you can go check out, uh, part seven of my OKC series on No Way Jose, that's the name of my podcast. But if you go to part seven, that is the one that we, uh, specifically of what really happened to the OKC bombing is the name of the series. But, uh, part seven is where we specifically talk about Terrence Hickey. And if you go to the video description, I, I put an article in there. That's probably the best source you can possibly use. It's, and then also that like. It lays out like all of this, so all the different sources, and it's it's also got good footnotes, and you know it lays out all its sources and stuff too, and it's great. So you know, anything I'm saying is pretty much you can probably find there. Um, but okay, crap, I forgot my forgot where I was got, uh, going. Uh, uh, his uh, the uh, the confessional. Basically, yeah. he told he told that person um, kind of what he saw, and then he basically blabbed. Right, he he let yeah. it all out. That's that's yeah. Yeah. Oh, and then I was saying what he told his friend. Crap, I lost my point. Uh, gang, I was on a roll, on a flow, and I forgot it. Uh, uh, that's, that's okay. He, t he. I remember you saying that he didn't tell his wife very much because he didn't want to get her involved. Um, he went to this confessional. I can't. I can't remember the word that you're using. <laughs> yeah. And then he blabbed on him, and um, when he was in the hospital, he gave a note to his friend. Oh no, it wasn't specifically in his hospital. I don't I don't remember what point he sent this cuz it wasn't like he uh, another thing is like it wasn't like he died immediately. I forget how long it was before he was killed uh between the bombing and after, but this was kind of like an ongoing thing to where he was looking into this. Uh and he he definitely uh... seemed to imply, "Oh, I remember what I was getting at." He said in the letter to his friend that I I was either to his ex-wife or to the letter with his friend uh, you know, that he, he essentially kind of pointed out that it was weird that the ATF was there before he even got there. And he was one of the first people there. Mm -hmm. So kind of like that prior knowledge aspect I was getting at before. So he kind of immediately was kind of like, what the fuck is going on here? Like, cause from the, the, the get kind of like, how are there already people like federal agencies that seem to be responding to this before I responded to this? Right. This makes no sense. And like, already in like full gear like prepped like not not just like they just showed up in civilian like uh, they were like in their full-on like you know like right gear like and shit's shit, popping man. off gear um so yeah that um and uh i'm trying to think uh what other specific aspects about what he knew uh yeah there's definitely a lot there uh do, 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 do. i'm trying to forget i'm kind of blacking out oh um Oh, yeah. Um, I mean, with him being one of the first people there, a lot of people are like ask, like, what could he have possibly seen or known that would be weird? For one, there's that. Two, he got there so quick. One big thing people talk about is, um, is in, once again, this is another one of those ones that are not, it's not a hill I would die on because uh, this could, I, this really could go either way and I wouldn't be surprised. Uh, I lean towards there probably were secondary explosives of some sort planted prior but i it, it's not like integral to my my thinking on this story um but there is one thing to where like people think that there probably was planted explosives as well because there are bombing experts have said it's a little bit incredulous that this one truck filled with a fertilizer bomb 
from I forget how many feet it was away from the building. It was, you know, in the parking lot, which I don't know if it was like 100, 200 feet away. Mm-hmm. Uh, it somehow basically eviscerated the building almost, you know, Whoa. basically completely demolished it. It's like, don't get me wrong. I'm sure that does a lot. But that's uh, for me, I, I find it a little incredulous that it was able to do that extensive amount of damage. I don't know. I could be wrong. I'm no bombing expert, but I have seen people, other bombing experts have said this seems weird. And there also were, I believe, I want to say two eyewitnesses that said they saw uh, something like a week or less prior. They saw people in, uh, in I want to say it was like the parking garage inside the building or something where they were uh, planting, it looked like they were putting on putty-like material on different beams and stuff like that, which would suggest like a, I believe that they call those like plastic C4 or something like that. There are types of explosives that are like a, almost like putty type thing. Um, And so there may be something to that. I mean, I don't know. A couple eyewitnesses isn't the most solid evidence, but it is highly suggestive. Um, So there is something to that to where maybe Yiki saw... You know, whether it was unexploded ordnance or whether it was he saw secondary explosions, uh, I don't know. Um, so th- there's that. Um, there's also researchers who have suggested that he may have gotten, uh, and I don't know specifically what their sources were. I'm just saying these are people who have looked into it and they seem to believe uh, that he may have gotten his hands on the surveillance tapes because that's one big aspect of the story that he, the surveillance tapes, uh, magically all disappeared. <laughs> and there was something yeah. like, I want to say 23 surveillance tapes that showed the Murrah building, and there were confirmed through uh, documents, at least two of them specifically would have been able to see the explosion itself and like kind of like the rider truck, which that leads to another point. The, the, you know, the rider truck being John Doe 2, because there were an insane amount, I can't remember the exact amount, but I believe it was over 20 eyewitnesses that saw John Doe 2 with uh, McVeigh prior to and shortly after the bombing. So, and, and I, I believe even in the Ryder Trek, if I remember correctly. So, uh, it, there seemed to have been another individual there with him. So who is this John Doe 2? And that's probably one of the most, like if you start going down the John Do- Doe 2 aspect, that's probably one of the most, bulletproof like what the hell is going on here of the whole case because they uh, almost immediately there was a nationwide like basically manhunt for this john doe too and they made a big deal out of it and then within like a i want to say three months they dropped it but though i want to say it was within a month there were there had been released uh, there had been documents that had been found that showed the feds internally had already ignored stopped looking into it so and it's like they put in then it became the official story became nope there was no john doe 2 even though there were so many eyewitnesses that confirmed a john doe 2 and not only confirmed it they had also had the artist descriptions that seemed to all match so it's Hmm. it's who is this john doe 2 i don't know i mean there are some people who think some of the other possible associates of of mcveigh that are also kind of characters in this larger narrative could be one of them uh, I know me and uh, Richard Booth, I, I mean, I more or less just kind of defer to Richard Booth, uh, think none of the guys that we really know of in this story were him uh, because they don't seem to necessarily match the description. Uh, mm-hmm. But, I mean, it could be. A lot of people think Richard Lee Guthrie might have been. But point being is that the, the surveillance tapes would have shown 
uh, or not Richard, I was about to say Richard Lake Guthrie, but John Doe two stepping out of the van or with him before it exploded. And that's one of the big things. And why did all these, these surveillance tapes never get shown? <laughs> and there's also been confirmed there was a surveillance tape that was taken by a Fed at one point. This is confirmed. These are sources that are like legit documents that, ha that are out there. There was a Fed who tried to sell it to, I want to say it was 60 Minutes, but I might be wrong on that. Uh, some large uh, media institution. They tried to sell the surveillance tapes to them for I believe $800,000 and they didn't take it. Instead, they essentially routed them out to the feds. <laughs> so, uh, so, and they, they actually screened, they're actually, he performed a screening where he actually showed it to them. So there it was shown. And uh, I don't remember if it says in there that they actually saw that stuff, but yeah, they've, they've kept a lock on that super hard and magically these things all disappeared. So why? I don't know. I mean, it seems, and the, there, I believe it's almost beyond a shadow of a doubt there was a John Doe too. Like you can't have, yeah. I know eyewitness reports aren't the most uh, believable, but when you get to a certain level of stacking up, it gets, right. it gets to where it's like, okay, like, like they're like, they're one of the John Doe two people was like the people at the rider truck place himself, the one where they picked it up. Mm -hmm. They explicitly described McVeigh and they explicitly described the individual with him. So right. it's like, they're just going to weirdly imagine a second person that was never there. Like, come yeah. on, like that's pushing it. It's one thing to, uh, you know, imagine, not imagine someone, but to describe someone slightly different or to get mm -hmm. certain aspects of a story wrong as an eyewitness, but to an imagine human, like to concoct a human being in your mind, uh, uh, you know, and you know, out of thin air is a different, different thing it entirely. Yeah. 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 So, Holy shit. Yeah, there's a lot of interesting coincidences. And to me, it almost seems like they put out this manhunt for John Doe, too, to distract from perhaps maybe some of the cracks in the foundation that were the OKC bombing. And, you know, say, hey, we're looking for this guy because he was part of the bombing. But though all the once again shady shit that's going on over here, don't pay attention to this. Let's look for this guy. And then, you know, after a couple of weeks, let's be honest, nobody's going to give a shit about it. Everybody's moved on. So then you can drop it. And then, you know, everybody kind of carries on uh, life as usual. My suspicions are actually more likely what happened is I think if you look at uh, look at like institutions like an FBI or a CIA, I think you need to think of them as not a monolith. So I think what likely happened is my opinion is they they don't work together like a monolith, like I said. And if this was some sort of operation or if there were informants or people in the know or whatever, even if they didn't intentionally do this, say it was like a say say there were informants and they were kind of manipulating McVeigh mm -hmm. or they were just trying to entrap him and say he went rogue or plans changed or whatever. Say it just went wrong. Yeah. Like like I think there's a good chance that they don't communicate well with each other. And I think what likely happened is that they just, the law enforcement did what it would naturally do in a situation like that and reacted the way it would, collected evidence, you know, just like in a genuine way, did all these things. And then, you know, like I said, within that like month, and then I don't know if someone got to someone within the agency and was like, hey. Uh, like something like that because yeah. I, like I, I don't think 
it's not like this entity that works in unison perfectly. That would be my guess. That's my suspicion personally, that it was something more along those lines that they genuinely were looking for a John Doe too. And then it didn't take too long between before maybe certain memos got sent between certain high powerful individuals, uh, high power individuals between there, they started telling the lower level agents like, Hey, drop this. Like, yeah. you know, we're cease, like cease looking into this, blah, 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 blah. And then a couple months later, kind of officially, we're like hand waved it away. You know, that way it wasn't too suspicious since they had made such a big deal out of it. That would be my suspicion. I don't know. I mean, I'm, I'm, I seem to be, my guess is personally, if I had to guess, I think John Doe 2 was likely an informant or a Fed of some sort. So okay. if I had to guess, but I could be wrong. Once again, that's not like essential to it to the story. I mean, there's still like more to it. And you like, there are different ways to interpret these, these facts that are seen either way, no matter what, all these facts do not look favorably upon the, the government at all. At the very least, I'm of the opinion that at the absolute very least, it was a hundred, like it, it's like undeniable. There was a massive cover up. but now like, were they responsible? I don't know. I lean towards they were. Right. So, you know. Okay, so um, let's see if um, I retain this well enough because uh, we've been shooting the shit for an hour. I can't believe it, dude. It fucking flew by. Yeah, this is why I did like over 10 hours on it. They're like, there's still more. Yeah. <laughs> right, right, okay. Well, um, so basically the official narrative is that Timothy McVeigh is a you know radical militia kind of guy and he went and he wanted to get revenge on the feds. So he went and blew up the Murr building, which convenient, or uh, well, I, they leave out. And I'm guessing in the official narrative that the ATF agents weren't there, right? So, but what you're proposing is, and all the research that you and Richard have done would basically suggest well, Richard's that... done, but yeah, go on. <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> well, yeah. credit words do. Yeah. And then you know, also you got a lot of eyes on it, so you know, mm -hmm. of course, always credit to you as well. So, um, the narrative that you guys seem to. I, I don't want to say push because that, that almost sounds like negative. But um, what you guys would say is basically that it's possible that Timothy McVeigh had um, some kind of federal assistance and that there was definitely a cover up of some sort that would allow the ATF agents to not be there, but um, kind of whip up a mass hysteria by doing this kind of bombing at the collateral price of children and other people in the building. And then John Doe, too, was potentially a informant as well. But the official like narrative kind of bleeps out that part of John Doe too. Like it was kind of like here and gone and not a big deal. Um, I, I know that's not perfectly concise, but would that kind of summarize that in your view? Yeah, yeah, that seems about right. I'd say sure. like if we're gonna give the most favorable, in my opinion, interpretation of the the facts of, of this case, I think the absolute most favorable, and even then I think this is being a little bit naive, but if I'm being giving the most favorable interpretation I possibly can, is I think they likely probably had informants in some places, and so there probably was some level of a cover up. I don't know, maybe John Doe too was an informant that went rogue and for some reason was acting out of pocket essentially and they wanted to cover up any sort of you know uh you know dirt on their hands type thing uh, that that it could be that simple and it could be that this wasn't actually the intended uh consequence of what they were doing sure i lean towards it likely was personally once you start digging to other things but it also like that is not something i necessarily assert that's just my uh, uh like Your opinion, that's my speculation uh, yeah. But like, I think it's basically damn near, 
Like there was at very least a cover up, and they definitely had. It's it's just once you start accumulating different other individuals that were involved and things they did, it becomes incredulous to think otherwise. And this was an infiltrated group to some degree, and sure. there were other people that were involved that somehow got got off the hook because the only people who got in trouble were McVeigh and Nichols, and there were other people involved. He had other you know other um, other accomplices to some degree, so. Mm -hmm. Okay, so um, I guess now that we kind of covered all that, um, is there anything else you felt or you feel like is necessary for people to know when kind of learning about this other than uh, kind of what we already laid out? Um, I, try to think. I guess like so far as like basics, that's good. I mean, there's still so much more. There's mm -hmm. Roger Moore, like I alluded to earlier. Sure. You know, I mentioned the robbery with, with Nichols. Uh, that robbery was likely completely, it's my opinion, my speculation. I think if you look at the, what happened there, you know, look at the, look at the events of that day, it becomes kind of clear. It almost likely was a, a, essentially like a completely borderline staged robbery. Like essentially yeah. it was almost because Rogers and McVeigh, or Roger Moore and McVeigh had a long, a, a semi-long relationship. And also, like, they had been going to gun shows for a while. They would split booths. They, they had a long-going relationship. I believe, Ro I want to say Roger Moore kind of like, uh, you know, kind of downplayed their relationship to some extent. Mm -hmm. But it, it also was like, it just was all too convenient that these were buddies and he had all this stuff. And then when you add in the fact that Roger Moore has a long history of Fed involvement. Like, he right. was essentially, okay. he had a boat company, I believe, if I remember correctly. And he was involved in a lots of different Fed ops, like uh, Iran Contra. He was a bag man for other certain uh, like Fed ops, a whole mm -hmm. sort of stuff. And there's also uh, there's like I believe articles where he said stuff where he's like released to said to people that like he he's upset that they used his real name because he was operating under an alias at the time and like you know he is essentially was like an informant of some sort there is a lot of lore to roger moore like so like he glows like the sun and like <laughs> there, there is a lot to him and the fact that oh this guy happened to have a ton of guns and a ton of precious metals and stuff that they could rob from him i i i'm of the opinion that likely i think terry nichols was likely kind of a hapless like um kind of like a guy who got a little bit in over his head type thing yeah. and like he was probably one of the few genuine people in a way like i actually think if he he knew kids were probably gonna be killed i actually think he probably wouldn't be okay with it from the, the digging i've done with it i think he's probably one of the more sympathetic of the uh, accomplices of mcveigh and I think, you know, if anything, he was almost seemed like he was borderline McVeigh's whipping boy, yeah. um, you know, and he, there were definitely a lot of illusions that that were made that McVeigh or that Nichols was legitimately scared of for his life in this situation. So I think there was probably uh, some level of coercion. That's why I say where he got in over his head, right. kind of like when you get in a gang and you're like, yeah. I no longer want to be or organized crime. You get deep in organized crime. And if you're like, well, I don't want to do this anymore. You're like, well, sorry. <laughs> like, like I think he for got, good. yeah i think he got in over his head yeah. i think he was worried for his family's safety and so he just kind of went along to get along um but uh i think i think what that was and i think he was probably one of the people that likely wasn't a fed or informant or anything like that i think he just was a genuine person um and i think what happened is because you know mcveigh is the one who instructed nichols to go rob from him 
And I think what that was was a plausible deniability aspect to where Roger Moore can be like, oh, I was robbed, and he's not lying. You know, he was robbed. And he, incidentally, Roger Moore then becomes the star witness against McVeigh in, in, uh, in court. Um, you know, so that's weird. There's also An- Andy Strassmeyer, which is another big part of this, which was a, he was a dude who was a German national. Uh, he was in the German military. He had a dad who was like a high powered politician. What's up everybody. Um, we're going to take a quick break and tell you about the show's sponsors. Um, we are brought to you by element T electrolytes i've been using this stuff for years and what i've honestly found is that if i didn't have electrolytes before some kind of cardio and sometimes even before workouts that my workout performance or definitely cardio performance would suffer greatly um sodium is responsible for every single movement pretty much in your entire body and let's say you drink a lot of caffeine like i like to do then um maybe it is a good idea like i do every single morning um Put some LMNT chocolate electrolytes um, there in your coffee to get a little bit more sodium, potassium, and uh, magnesium in your coffee. So that way, whatever diuretic effect you get from the caffeine is pretty much diluted by the fact that you put chocolate salt in it. Uh, Also, it tastes really, really good. Get some uh, chocolate creamer, hazelnut creamer, or even coconut. Uh, mix that all up it tastes really really good so uh yeah make sure you drop by go to drinklmnt.com slash in liberty and health and uh pick you up some electrolytes today all right guys thanks all right unfortunately i'm not cured of my connectivity issues so anyways you were talking about um the one gentleman being a german police officer and then we're getting into some real spicy stuff because you mentioned the idf so i'm excited (laughs) <laughs> All right, I'll, I'll recap it because I, I don't know exactly where he dropped. He wasn't a German police officer, to to be clear. I, I think I think I know where I dropped off, but just for the sake of like keeping it all together, he was a German national. Like he lived, he was a German citizen essentially. Mm-hmm. Um, high-powered father. This is Andre Andreas Strassmeyer, Andy Strassmeyer. Yeah. Uh, he was a uh, he he was a kid of a high-powered politician. He was in the German military. He was trained in counterintelligence. He also was in the he when I say in the IDF, I don't mean he was literally in it. He like basically it was almost seemed like a cross training type thing type sure. deal is what it seemed like. He was essentially was on their security patrol for a while with the IDF, kind of like working with them. Um, he then ended up, you know, for some reason, uh, ended up coming to the United States. The first person he lived with, I, I need to get this name because I mentioned this uh, occasionally. He the first guy he lived with was a quote-unquote former CIA uh, uh, agent um, who incidentally worked on this, uh, who while in, who was a, in, in his time in Vietnam, he was part of Operation Phoenix, which Operation Phoenix was essentially uh, Operation Northwoods, but in Vietnam. So if anyone knows Operation Northwoods, that was a thing with JFK, uh, or during JFK's administration, where they essentially proposed to the Joint Chiefs of Staff uh, the idea of essentially doing uh, false flag attacks on the on like the United States citizenry to be able to gin up a wartime fervor against the Cuba, uh, and you know the the lore is that you know JFK slapped it down, 
Um, there also is something called Operation Gladio that happened over in Europe. I want to say Italy. I forget exactly where. Uh, might not be, but somewhere in Europe yeah. where it essentially was Operation North was uh, executed, uh, you know, actually done where they did that type stuff. So, you know, if you ever really want to go down that rabbit hole, go look into Operation Gladio. But Operation Phoenix was that in Vietnam. It's a little known thing. And that is essentially what that guy did. He They specialized in assassinations, bombings, anything to gin up. Uh, I forget the exact, uh, you know, the exact objective, but they were trying to gin up something towards some in, a desired target, sure. uh, you know, trying to whip up the populace. Um, and that's what that CIA agent, uh, you know, what he was, you know, what he used to do. And he had made comments before about wanting to do stuff like this over in the States, never specifically saying what he meant or what objective. Right. But, you know, kind of just a, a, a good little anecdote for the story, uh, considering that's where who Andy Strassmeyer ended up getting shacked up with uh, for a period of time where he came over here. And then he ended up going over to another one. I want to say the dude's name's David Hallway. I need to rewatch that episode with Richard Booth so I can get the names correctly. But he ended up living with another CIA agent, and or former CIA agent, quote unquote, uh, you know, because I don't know, it seems weird. But this uh, former CIA agent just so happened to have started a militia in Texas, and this militia um, was uh, Andy Strassmeyer ended up being a part of. And then shortly after Andy Strassmeyer got booted out of said militia because the people in the militia thought he was some sort of provocateur because I forget the exact story, but essentially they tailed him and saw him doing very fishy behavior. I don't, I, think, I want to say it was something like going to some sort of federal building and, yeah. you know, just weird behavior like that. They followed him and then kicked him out. And then he ended up in, in uh, Elohim City, the compound I told you about that, you know, McVeigh seemed to frequent and a lot of the other people that are kind of associated with this whole story end up kind of ending, end up being at, which was the, like the white supremacist uh, militia compound. And he ended up becoming the security director. Now, Strassmeyer, I believe, only confirms like one, uh, you know, interaction with McVeigh, but there are multiple ones that are basically, you know, like they're pretty, pretty, pretty strong. <laughs> like I'll say that, like you can go watch my episode or go look in the sources to see more, but like they, they clearly had some sort of relationship and you know, this guy, you know, was involved, Andy Strassmeyer. Uh, also during this period of time, uh, Andy Strassmeyer was receiving a $2,000 a month, uh, you know, during the, in the mid nineties. So, you know, you could probably, you know, figure that out. I don't know what you adjusted for now, but it's essentially a stipend of some sort from uh, the the previous CIA agent that he was living with in uh, in uh, Texas. So I mean, you could almost borderline say there, there you go. He's basically pretty much getting paid by the CIA. Uh, yeah. Although I don't know, maybe just he was that good of buddies. So he just gave him two thousand bucks every month. I, I, don't Fuck, I wish I had know. buddies like that. Yeah, right. That'd be dope. Um, but uh, yeah. So and then that guy ended up getting mixed up with this whole thing. And yeah, that's a, that Andy Strassmeyer is probably one of the biggest, biggest glowies of all of them. Um, you know, I know one of the big things is the Godiva uh, the, the, at the strip club where they were all spotted together and they, they, they made weird statements to a stripper there. I forget that. It's a good one to go check out that episode. I highly suggest it. But yeah, there, there is a lot of weirdness to this case and a lot of glowing things. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it so, looks like a uh, like a toddler's 4th of July or something like yeah. that with a whole bunch of little glow sticks. Jesus yeah. Christ, dude. Yeah, well, uh, I, I think I'm definitely going to uh, check out that series now because this is just something that 
um, I heard you talk about and, you know, people would praise you often for. So um, I figured getting a shirt from the horse's mouth, no, uh, no offense would be uh, yeah. awesome. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so and I, I will say I, I the one I'm dropping, uh, it, I didn't touch on any of that from today. The one I'm dropping is uh, about another person who was suicided, Kenneth Trenadu. Um, who was essentially seemed to have been uh, mistaken for one of the uh, during that period of time where they're looking for John Doe two, yeah. they seem to think he was John Doe two or 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 uh, what's his name Guthrie, uh, one of the other uh, you know associates of um, uh, of Richard Lee Guthrie of uh, McVeigh, uh, likely one of the accomplices, mm -hmm. um, and he was in a he was in jail at the time. He had just gone picked up for a parole violation crossing the Mexican border. He was driving. Basically, he fit the description perfectly of what they were looking for. Like he had the basically the same like a similar pickup truck. He had a similar tattoo. Uh, he you know he had been busted for bank robbery before because a big part of the whole Elohim City thing is these guys were performing bank robberies to be able to fund their operations. Right. And this guy had been busted for bank robbery like years prior. Now he was supposedly a model uh, inmate. He, um, he had like, basically he had like a heroin addiction. He was a Vietnam vet who he got addicted to heroin while he was in Vietnam. He came out, uh, I guess he ended up robbing a bank probably to fund his addiction. He got busted and it seemed to be he was getting his life together. He got married, he had a newborn and then he got busted for a parole violation crossing the Mexican border. Uh, which, because his his wife, I believe, was Mexican American, or, or or so she had family there, or something. There was something along those lines where he's there, and they were suspecting that you know this individual they were looking for during this John Doe two search was someone who'd be crossing the John Doe border. So he he checked every one of these marks of people of a suspected you know one of the people they're looking for, and then he end up uh, committing suicide. They found him hanging from a bed sheet in a in a like a, I believe it's called the shoe is what they call it, but one of those like uh, you know, uh, one of the areas of the, of the prison that was more um, you know kind of a, I forget what the term for it, but it's like a, you know more restricted where they put those kind of like a, almost where you put like a Jeffrey Epstein kind of thing. Uh, it basically, point being, he shouldn't have been able to kill himself. He was in a cell that shouldn't right. have been a thing. But lo and behold, he had extensive cuts, burns, bruises, uh, ligatures all over him. And um, they tr ruled as a suicide. And there were also two uh, fellow inmates who said they heard screaming and sounds of what sounded like torture. Uh, and those two individuals magically ended up dead. One of a uh, one of an OD, uh, one of a other suicide. Um, and yeah, uh, they were willing to testify to this, you know. And uh, they died shortly after. The big thing about Kenneth Trinidu, though, is don't get me wrong; it's it's awful that happened. But he is what essentially has led to in a roundabout way a lot of the things we have found out uh, you know that, that have come out through like FOIA requests and stuff like that a lot of the information that has leaked out that has you know essentially strengthened the case in this whole OKC story is because of that uh, because they just so happened to kill the wrong inmate this guy's brother was a lawyer Jesse Trenadu and he is like the OKC guy he has been essentially since then been fighting the federal government he still is he's actually in court right now still fighting his FOIA lawsuits against them um and he Jesse Trenadu uh yeah he was enraged and he still is to this day that they clearly killed his brother and he's been fighting them and he actually didn't even know it was OKC related at all at first until he actually you know multiple things one of the biggest ones is he you know essentially heard from Timothy McVeigh himself that contacted him, you know, before he died, you know, of a uh, chemical injection, 
uh, you know, from the death penalty. Uh, he, Timmy McVeigh, contacted him and let him know, like, hey, I think they thought he looked like Richard Lee Guthrie, and I, you know, because he kind of looks just like him, fits all the, the, you know, the specific things, and I think they were probably torturing for information. And this is what he told him, which was also, once again, is also kind of an implicit uh, admission from McVeigh that there were other accomplices in a certain way, you know, which, uh, mind you, keep that in mind. I think that's important to remember. Um, and yeah, so, and he said, I think the FBI were, you know, picked him up for that. And, you know, that's probably what happened. Um, and that's, you know, kind of what set him down that road. And then he kind of, I mean, most of the, it really was just him trying to get justice for his brother. But in order to do that, he kind of had to go into the OKC stuff. And so he's the guy who found out a lot of that information I was spouting about the, uh, about the surveillance tapes earlier, about the specific amount. These are like, things he's been able to pry from the federal government's hands like the way FOIA lawsuits or FOIA like FOIA requests are supposed to work is they're supposed to just give it to you it's not supposed to be this hassle this guy has spent decades fighting this fight and just to get stuff that they're supposed to give you um yeah and he's been and it's funny one of the reasons uh, that he was able to continue this fight is because in one of his uh i believe this is because he didn't just go the foia one he did he attacked it from the criminal element he, he cr went uh, tried to criminally prosecute them because there was a whole bunch of fuckery in this there were people mm -hmm. that admitted to perjury and all sorts of stuff uh in the case like i believe the guards admitted to perjury and so i i don't remember if it was them he was trying to get for criminal but essentially he attacked it from a criminal way he attacked it politically like he had friends that were like uh, involved in politics he tried to go that way who then also weirdly got kowtowed into backing down he attacked it, uh, you know, from a civil lawsuit uh, perspective and then also from the FOIA way. And in the civil one, I believe he ended up, and they all kind of worked together because he'd get information from one that he'd work for another and blah, blah, blah. And from the civil one, he ended up getting a million dollars granted to him by the, by the federal government. And I think what they probably thought is like, fine, maybe he'll go away. He, we got him a million dollars. Like, yeah. you know, he won the civil lawsuit, like all right f fucking go away and like if anything that no now i have a million dollars like he actually said himself now we're armed and dangerous and he's still fighting that fight to this day and uh there's actually in that episode i told you about earlier that's dropping tomorrow or for those who watch this when this comes out uh it'll already be out in that in, in the video description i put a, the a presentation jesse himself gave about you know roughly 10 years ago uh and yeah he lays it out all of this out in there better than i did um, or even probably in the episode we did, uh, I definitely highly suggest checking that out because, yeah, he, he said himself that, like, I, I'm going to fight this fight to the day I die. He even knows, like, I, no one's probably ever going to get prosecuted for this, but I will harm the reputation and I will continue to do so till I die. <laughs> so, God. Yeah. So they, they, they killed the wrong dude. And, I, and for me, I find they're a weird, it's almost like kind of inspirational in a certain way. Uh, you know, when you're dealing with these kind of things, these huge, uh, conspiracies or these things that seem insurmountable, you never know what domino that will it be that sets them all off because right. you would assume, and I'm not saying this to say that, you know, that Kenneth Turner was a bad guy. Actually, the more I look into him, the more sympathetic a character he seems, but from a superficial sense, you would think somebody like Yiki, a black cop, you know, like, you know, was loved by the community. You would think like he was very involved in the community with like the dare program and all sorts of stuff. You would think that would be, what would kick off like the feds getting fucked, but right. no, they killed an inmate, which I'm sure to them, they just thought, you know, this is some dude in jail. This is some dude who's a bank robber, former heroin addict. Like who's going to give a fuck. That's probably what they thought. 
and yeah. they thought wrong. <laughs> and and because of him, because of Jesse Trendu, he's what's like armed a lot of people who are searching for truth in the Oklahoma City bombing uh, to actually be able to find it and to be like have the facts on their side because there's a lot here. Like this really does run deep, and it's like it's beyond question to me that the federal government has uh, blood on their hands to some level. Now, to what degree? I don't know. Were they actually the perpetrators of the, uh, you know, were they intentionally trying to blow up the murder building? Is that where they went? To, or was this just some sort of cover-up? I don't know. But at the very least, there's blood on their hands. Yeah. Holy shit, dude. It's like drinking from a uh, fucking fire hose. All right, man. Um, <laughs> I want to be respectful of your time. And, um, you know, I, I, I got a lot to process and I got a lot to watch, apparently. Um, yeah. Jose, always a pleasure, brother. Um, where can everybody find you? Uh, yeah, I have the No Way Jose podcast. Uh, it's on YouTube, all the major podcasters, Odyssey as well. Uh, if you want to follow me on Twitter, at Taragang Jose. Uh, I don't think anything else. I mean, if you like offensive comedy, I have the Tower Gang podcast. Uh, that's on YouTube. Uh, it's on Wednesday at nine eleven every every week. Uh, you know, uh, and yeah, I think that's really about it. If you want to give me money, patreon.com dot com twenty twenty. But I, I don't really have any other plugs. I do have uh next week. This is coming out Tuesday. Mm-hmm. Uh, you said. Uh, so when this drops, uh, uh, I don't know what time of day you drop it, but I'll be having Addy ads to talk about the Ohio stuff. He's like an on the ground journalist yeah. type guy. I'll have him on. He, that's an episode. Like basically next week, both episodes aren't behind the paywall. Most of my episodes are to where like I will drop them roughly a week or so later. But these will both be live streams. I'll have Addy Ads on on Tuesday, talk about the Ohio stuff. Uh, and then on Thursday, I have Shane Cashman coming back on, who's a uh, who's a, the Tim Cast journalist and who's been caught up in a lot of the Eliza Blue stuff recently. Uh, I'm having him on with me. Uh, Top Lobster and Clint Russell for another Four Pony Boys. This is his return appearance. He's been on before. We all actually really love Shane. Uh, so it'll, it'll be a great episode, and I hope you uh, hope you guys uh, pop in and check out. I know a lot of people are upset about his coverage with Eliza Blue thing. Pop in, ask questions. You know, drop some money in the super chat. Ask him. I mean, do the lowest amount. I don't care. I mean, it's just when you have so many comments, it just helps to sift. I'm, I, I mean, I'm not doing that to be like greedy. I'm just saying, like, you know, if you're there's a million comments going on, it makes it a lot easier if there's a super chat to know which ones to address. But uh, yeah, if you want to question, if you want to ask him why he did this or why he did that. Uh, I mean, I, I seem to I, I, I uh, kind of take his side in a lot of ways. So I, I, I think a lot of people are misunderstood the situation in a lot of ways from Shane's perspective. But I don't know, whatever, come pop in, put his feet to the fire. I don't, I don't care. It'll, it'll make for a good episode. But yeah, thanks for having me. Yeah, dude, of course. And uh, yeah, definitely go check out the uh, Four Pony Boys episodes. I absolutely uh, enjoyed those a lot. I listened to the one with Dan McBase and uh, Royce Lopez today and uh, just absolutely love them. Royce and Dan are both just a freaking howl. So uh, yeah, dude, if you have anything else, we'll uh, close her out. Yeah, that's it, man. Appreciate it. Cool, of course. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.